Northern New York Community Podcasts, stories from the heart of our community. Welcome to this edition of the Northern New York Community Podcast. I'm your host, Max Del Signor. We have a special conversation here in store for you. It is our pleasure to have Frank and Ann Keen with us. We will chat with them about their love and appreciation for the North Country. Frank will provide some insight into the rise and success of Knowlton Brothers and Knowlton Technologies in Watertown. And we will ask them both about why giving back locally is important to the future of Northern New York. Frank and Ann, it's great to have you both here. Glad to be here. So let's start with both of you being natives of the North Country. Um, can you just each of you briefly share with us uh, a little bit about the community where you grew up? And Ann, I'll start with you first. Yes, I grew up in Watertown on Stone Street, went to St. Patrick's Elementary, went on to IHA, graduated in 1960. And Frank, was it Brownville for you? Yes, I'm a General Brown graduate, graduated in 1960, born in Point Peninsula, but mm -hmm. I was two years old, moved to Brownville, and that's where I spent my life. What were the communities like, um, respectively, Watertown and Brownville, kind of in and around that time in the 50s and, and early 60s? Brownville was a small, very tight-knit community. Everybody helped raise your, your, your kids, so I didn't get away with a whole lot. <laughs> it was pretty well managed by all the citizens of, in Brownville. What was it like in the city, Ann, at that time? Well, we lived in the 500 block, and all the neighbors knew you and took care of you like their, their own. And we, uh, as he said, you wouldn't get away with anything because there's people that knew you but you didn't know, and they would tell on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, and the city especially has, has changed so much over time. And I feel like in that era of the 50s and 60s, Watertown was still, not that it isn't today, but a, a different but thriving city. Oh, yeah. would, you, would you say that that's accurate? That's true, yes. What do you love most about growing up in the North Country? Um, a place where, again, a lot of families took care of you, looked out for you outside of just your parents, um, but wh what do you appreciate the most about growing up in northern New York and uh, especially given the time that you've spent here? I'm an outdoors person and uh, like to hunt fish and those things are all available here. The small communities are very attractive to me. It's where I grew up and raised my kids, raised my grandkids and now raising my great-grandkids, or helping, I should say helping raise my great-grandkids. Or we are, Anne's doing most of the work. But, uh, <laughs> I get to participate a little bit now and then. What do you love the most, Anne, about Northern New York? Well, the four seasons and being able to, I guess, grow with your children, your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I guess we know quite a few around the area and we used to live in Brownville as a married couple and when we moved to Tennessee you know we were there for about five years and then we came back and went to Henderson and it's beautiful out there. <laughs> I want to get back to that that part in a second about coming back home after being away for a short time. Um, to revisit something you mentioned too about families around you helping you kind of raise you and grow up. And of course you have your parents. One of the things we do on this podcast is we peel back the layers of a person's or a couple's values and giving back to their community. Where would you say your values for giving back to the community and giving back to help others, where did those values come from for each of you? 
my grandfather had the local grocery store in Brownville. He was a person that helped many people during the Depression. I heard some, many of those stories of some of the things that he had done. And he was a person that continued to give all of his life. He's a person that uh, I admired and tried to be like him in many ways. My folks were not well-to-do people, but they were people that volunteered their time. And that's as valuable as donating money if you can't afford to give. Were there certain things, Frank, that they always volunteered for? Well, uh, community events. My father was uh, an artist of sorts, and he did all of the paintings on the uniforms of the fire department. He belonged to the fire department, and his art was around the store when I was a kid. Uh, and where I worked, spent a lot of my time as well, my grandfather's store. And not just my grandfather's, but my aunt, uh, my aunt's as well. And it was Jenner and Brennan's, which I think was part of the history of Brownville. I was a paper boy there. I worked at the, the store. And uh, when I graduated, went into the service. And we returned to Brownville after I was married. Spent several years there before leaving to go to Chattanooga with my employment at the time. And what about you, just the, the values of giving back? Where, where did those come from for you? Well, I would say probably my dad and mom were both very outgoing and he uh, worked for a laundry and dry cleaning and Watertown linen supply, so he was very busy. Um, my mom also worked part-time and but they were into the PTA and the schools and the fairs and all, all that, so. Is there anything your parents ever told you, a, a motto or anything that you can remember that you kind of, has kind of stuck with you in, in the way you're living today? Yes. Uh, one time I had borrowed, I think, a dime from a friend. And I had to take it out of my allowance and I was complaining about, you know, my allowance at the time was like 50 cents. And so I was going to have to give up 10 cents of it. And I was complaining a little bit about it. And my father looked at me and said, you know, if you borrow a nickel from somebody and don't pay them back, they bought you for a nickel, how much you're worth. Hmm. And uh, yeah, that stuck with me. So where did the two of you meet? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember how you met? Or? Oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we met when I got out of the service in 1965. Uh, it was an, e an evening when we were both out, and there was a song on a jukebox that I thought I'd like to dance to. I wasn't much of a dancer, but I thought I could at the time. And we danced and then went to uh, a local diner drank several cups of coffee, and the rest is history. Do you remember the song? Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. What was the song? It was called The Jolly Green Giant. <laughs> Did you play it, was, it at your it wedding? It was one of those silly songs. You, know. you, you can't find the song. 
It was that good. It was that, that wonderful. Right. <laughs> Thought it was at the time. <laughs> so to, to look at um, after your time at the ser in the service and you yeah. came back and, and sought um, employment, your specialty or part of your college studies, Frank, was in paper science engineering, correct? That's correct. When you came back from, from serving overseas, did you know exactly, I want to continue on this track, this is the profession that I wanted to be in? No, I actually was in electronics in the service, and I had interviewed Bell Telephone when I got out of the service, and I was going to college at the same time. They asked me when I would graduate from Jefferson Community College, and I gave them a date. In the meantime, I had no job. I, I actually, that's not true. I was working for the State Department of Environmental Conservation as a state trapper. But the job ended in October, November, and I got married in August. And a friend of mine said to me, what are you going to do in August, September when the job goes? I said, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. Now I'm married, and you know, you're supposed to be able to su support your wife, but uh, at that time, I guess with a little carefree, wasn't, wasn't my number one priority. Anyways, he said to me, oh, if anything comes up at the mill, he says, I'll give you a call. I started in September of 1965 working at Knowlton's with the intent uh, that I was going to ultimately end up at Bell Telephone in the electronics field. After I was there a couple of years, David Knowlton, owner of Knowlton Brothers at the time, uh, offered me the opportunity to go to Syracuse and study paper science engineering. I, I accepted that offer and graduated a week before my 30th birthday from Syracuse and College of Environmental uh, Science Forestry. Came back to Knowlton's to work. I, had, I interviewed 31 companies at the time. I had 31 job offers. Uh, obviously, I was a little older, I'd had experience, I had a family, so I was the type of person that people thought they wanted to hire. So, But I came back to Knowlton, and uh, fortunately, uh, that was a good decision on my part. Was it difficult? Was there a draw to come back home? Was that one of the deciding factors in pursuing that opportunity? Definitely. saying this is the one? Definitely, yes. Uh, this, this was home, and... I had a job, a good job, and opportunity to come back here, and it was easy to it was easy to accept. Come back here, it's home. Was that part of part of your thinking too, Ann, as you're kind of making this decision of do you stay or do you go? Um, was home kind of an important thing for both of you to to make sure that you're here to raise your kids and your family? Oh yes, our kids, you know, had been raised right through General Brown and the. Families, both families were here, aunts, uncles, but that was where his job was going to be is in Chattanooga, so we moved. And my mother-in-law made the comment, if I'd known we would see so little of you and see him all the time, she wouldn't have let us go because he was home like every, every week. Not, not not every week, but uh, I was here frequently. I was corporate vice president of manufacturing for all five plants at the time. 
So I traveled to all of those plants. And somehow I seemed to be able to re return here on open day of duck season or bass season or whatever else it was. So I was home frequently. And uh, I guess I never really left. <laughs> in the mid-1980s, Nolan Brothers was in a precarious position and the business was slated for closure. What was your plan to save the business? Can you tell that story? I was involved in making the decision to close the plant. Uh, all the corporate officers studied the opportunity or the lack of at the time. We put together a scenario after studying all potentials and what would have to be invested in Watertown. And the decision was made to close. Myself and another gentleman who was also from Watertown, Bob Wardwell, actually resisted that sale. And we were able to delay the closing and take a second look at it. Bob and I both worked at putting together what I called scenario number two. And while it showed the potential of some profits, it did not have the return on investment that the corporation required. I continued to work on another scenario, which I called scenario number three, and I was unable to convince them that this scenario was, was one that was real, and as a result, had to cast my vote for closing it as well. I came to Watertown to close the plant, and immediately ran into one of my friends that I'd grown up with, and I spent the last two or three days touring the plant, meeting all my friends I'd grown up with, worked with, and made the decision that I couldn't close it. I went back to corporate and they asked me how everything went. I said, not very well. And why not? Because I didn't, I didn't close it. So they asked me what I was going to do and why I wasn't going to close it. I said, well, I'm going to make you an offer. Said, You're going to make me an offer, yes. Well, he says, make your offer and I'll take it to corporate and we'll see what happens. I took a sheet of paper, a yellow notebook pad right off his desk, made the offer. That was my official offer. And uh, 13 months later, I was proud owner of uh, Knowlton Specialty Papers, which I renamed Knowlton Brothers at the time to Knowlton Specialty Papers. 22 years later, uh, when I was preparing to leave the company, retire, the name was changed to Knowlton Technologies, which it is today. It's a very profitable company. It's a very proud company, and I'm glad to have been part of it. The subsequent owners have continued the progress that I started and continues to expand and grow and that old paper mill, which is the oldest continuous operating paper mill in North America, is still operating today continuously since 1808 and continues to grow. Well, the outside of that building is old. The in interior is state-of-the-art. And while it's termed a paper mill, it doesn't really make what we term as paper 
It does engineered composites and filtration media primarily today, still today. And I'm very proud to, as I said, I'm very proud to have been part of it. You were the leader of a local business that employed so many folks for decades. And as you said, some of your friends, families that you knew, what did that experience as president of a important local business teach you? What does it teach me? Perseverance, patience, which I was not blessed with a lot of, but uh, was able to acquire some patience as, as years went by, I guess. Maybe, maybe time took care of that. I don't know for sure. I did learn that we have a workforce that, bar none, is superior to any of the other locations that I managed. The North Country employees supported me every day I was there in 22 years that I was owner of that company. I'm so proud of what they were able to accomplish. I provided the opportunity. The men and women of that company made it happen. Now, even though you sold a stake in the business, as you mentioned a few years ago, you're still looking to innovate and generate new business. Um, there's some ventures that, that you're exploring, at least. The question is, will you ever officially retire? <laughs> uh, theoretically, I've retired, but no, I, I have several ventures which I've been involved in. Everything from a marina to a non-woven plant in Utica to raising exotic animals in Texas. And hopefully, I'm going to be constructing a biodigester on a local farm. Uh, in the spring. So of course all this happens and you know such a transformational change for the business but it doesn't happen without having a, a spouse by your side to support and help you too at the same time. How, how important was it or how critical was having Anne's support and you know her love and care with you along the way in this professional journey? It was critical. Uh, Anne has been by my side now for 51 years been very supportive all the way. Hopefully I've been supportive to her as well. But she has, she's carried the load of raising our children, grandchildren, working raising our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, managed our home. And uh, while I was away quite a bit, she kept things going and uh, still does that today. I'm a very blessed individual. Well, on top of that, too, Ann, it was for you also working at Niagara Mohawk mm -hmm. and helping to manage the marina, too. So how did you juggle all the, the, the moving parts to keep the family going strong and everybody on the straight and narrow? You just did. I mean, it was just a way of life. When he was going to school, I worked at Marine Midland. And uh, through pregnancy and his college and... It was just what we did, you know? You just didn't think about it. I uh, also was a brownie leader for a number of years, and then when I moved to Tennessee, I had to give that up. But Did you pick it back up when you moved back home? No, I had <laughs> other things going on. <laughs> You know, one of the things that, and, and being a Brownie leader is a good example of, and segue into this question, but whether it was through the business 
or doing it personally, you always felt that it was important to give back to the community where you lived. What were a few of the community organizations or causes that you felt were most important to you? Well, I'm uh, on the hospital foundation and I support that through my efforts, work, and also financially. I've continued to support the college, the Frank and Ann Keene uh, Aquatic Research Station on Governor's Island as a venture which I supported through the college and again supporting the North Country. But I think it's very important that uh, anyone who can support the needs of the North Country, which are many. Unfortunately, we're, we do live in the country. We do live in a part of the state that I don't feel is recognized by our politicians in New York City. Therefore, everything we can do for ourselves is going to benefit us, the future of the North Country, the future of our children, grandchildren. And if it's possible, I think anyone should involve themselves, either through volunteer work, financial work, anything they can do. And, and the North Country is blessed with people that have done that always continues to amaze me the amount of money that is donated by citizens of the North Country. And I hope that someday that I'll be able to do more than I'm doing now. These efforts that I'm involved in, hopefully they'll be profitable and I'll be able to do more. <laughs> and is there, is there a way, you know, Frank makes a good point about being able to help the next generation, um, sharing those same values so that hopefully they give back the way that really your generation has. I mean, there are a number of folks, citizens in this North Country, who have demonstrated significant means of giving back to help others and the, and the communities where we live. How do we inspire younger children or young adults to think about giving back to their community? Well, the great-grandchildren, they're, you know, at that, like a sponge. So no matter what they see, example, they will participate and we, um, you know, we go to church on Sunday and we bring the great grandchildren and he is the oldest of seven and he's just right in there singing us every Sunday and, and he knows when it comes time for the basket that you donate and uh, his sister is little younger so she hasn't quite had you know the influence but it's coming along and the youngest is two he's he hasn't stopped running so. <laughs> it's by example in other words yes well and it's, and it's a terrific point you make too Anne, about uh, the church being an instrumental reason for why folks learn to give or how they learn to give we've had other folks that we've been fortunate enough to interview on the podcast who have actually expressed the same thing, that that was um, a vehicle or a place where they actually learn some of these same philanthropic values. You live near Henderson Harbor, you mentioned now. You've made many commitments, helped many others, uh, either through the business in the marina or personal philanthropic endeavors to support Southern Jefferson County. You made a lead contribution to support the Six Town Community Fund 
yes. through the Northern New York Community Foundation, which supports programs and projects in Southern Jefferson County forever. Why was giving to that particular effort and fund important to you both? I think the Community Foundation and what they've been able to accomplish speaks for itself. And I'm proud to be able to be involved with the Community Foundation and it's something that I've known about for years, but only recently been involved in. It is an organization that has helped us North Country in many, many ways, our home, our hometowns. And again, it's through the philanthropic efforts of people that may, may not be here any, anymore, uh, passed on, or in many cases, people that are that are here day to day and work, donate from their working lives, things that they're able to do. It's, it's a great organization. And Frank said, in fact, that was part of this interview that one of the words he used was perseverance. And I, we had a previous conversation, I asked if there was a word that, you know, fit or described him pretty well. He mentioned the same thing. If I could ask you to share a couple of other words that might describe Frank best. What would you say? Oh, very honest. What you see is what you get. He's very much part of the community. And if you need help, he's there. At the same time, you've shared this journey with Anne for more than half a century. What would be a couple of words, Frank, that you would use to describe your wife? Dedicated. I'd have to also say perseverance. <laughs> it's, it's not that it's a favorite word, but she's, she's stuck with me for 51 years. <laughs> and it wasn't always easy, I can guarantee you that. It's 52. And just confirm it was 52 years now? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's been an amazing, amazing journey for you both. How important, just to kind of wrap up with the interview here, how important is it to uh, educate the future generations? We talked about this a little bit, but not just about the importance of philanthropy, but just giving back, whether it's a monetary gift in the offering plate or it's volunteering an hour to help someplace else. How important is it to educate young people about supporting your community in any way? Without educating the young people and showing them what can be accomplished, they'll not have the interest in the North Country that we have today. It's it's imperative that uh, we spend time with them, set examples for them, correct them on the do wrong, and our future depends on them. And you know, my grandfather was concerned about the next generation. My father was concerned about the next generation. <laughs> I'm concerned about the next generation, but somehow each generation manages to do better than the previous generation. And I expect that is true in this case as well. Well, Frank and Ann, thank you for investing in Northern New York the way that you have, if it's a business, if it's personally, or as it, if it's part of your family. Um, being able to find innumerable ways to make this community better is something that we, I can say, are truly grateful for. Um, thank you for setting such a good example that the next generation will hopefully be able to achieve and strive for. Um, we appreciate you also just coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. Very good. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Northern New York Community Podcast. We are grateful to our sponsors, WPBS-DT and the Northern New York Community Foundation for making this podcast possible. Remember, each interview can be downloaded for free anytime on your mobile device or you may listen online. Type in Northern New York Community Podcast when you search for us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or other podcast platforms. Also check out our website featuring interview highlights, transcripts, photo galleries, and much more. Just go to www.nnycpodcast.com. We appreciate Frank and Ann Keen for their time and sharing their story and perspective. And thanks again to all of you for joining us on the Northern New York Community Podcast. Northern New York Community Podcasts, stories from the heart of our community.